Okay, you guys, I am like almost through with this book that I have been savoring and enjoying so much. And it is such a treat because we actually have the author on the show today. Her name is Naomi Davis. And I know many of you who follow her um, either on her social media or on her blog are familiar with her. And if you're not, I think it's gonna be really juicy and fun to be able to learn about her her life and her lifestyle. So she is an entrepreneur. She is the founder of the lifestyle site, Love Taza, and also the author of that book I just mentioned, a coat of yellow paint, moving through the noise to love the life you live. She's also a mama of five, which I think is a really compelling part of her story as well. Hey, Naomi, good to see you. It's great to see you too. How are you? Oh, I'm well, I'm excited. And like I said, I've just really been enjoying the book. So I started off reading it and I really love to, especially when preparing for something like this and we're gonna talk, I love to hear the audio book. And, and it's awesome. How did that process go doing, yeah. doing the actual audio book? What was that like? so therapeutic for me. <laughs> I think I cried in that sound booth like maybe three or four times. The mm. poor sound engineer kept being like, are you okay? Do you want to try that again? Um, but it was such an honor because I read, you know, writing it was one thing, but then reading it and, and then in, in the audio version, there's a couple bonus features with I chat with my husband, Josh, who's a big part of the story, big part of my life. And then also my daughter who was nine at the time, she just turned 10. She did a little interview with me as well, um, where she kind of flipped it and asked me questions about the process writing a book. And she's a she's a big reader, so I was I was honored to have her sit and, and read the book and then chat with me about it. So it was great. Yeah, that pro that audio booth is something, isn't it? To hear your own words reflected back and and what you know people are about to be hearing about you and 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 all of that. I can imagine it being a lot. When I think about your story and, and second shots, which is kind of the focus of, of what we do here, there are, gosh, there's so many, but the one I kind of wanted to start with was the idea that you went from being, you know, at Juilliard, which I grew up studying classical ballet. I'm like, oh my gosh, to me, that would have been the end of it. I would have signed off and said, I went to Juilliard. That is it. I am finished. I have met the tip, the peak of my life. Um, so talk about how you went from being at Juilliard to then getting married, being like really one of the first, I think, to, to get married and then, and then finish and then to, to go on and become a blogger and a writer. You know, I think what is such a big part of my story and what I really wanted to share in this book is this idea that sometimes we get in this lane or we get in this path and we feel, you know, this is what I've spent hours, you know, prepping for in the studio. My parents have poured finances graciously into this for me. My teachers have dedicated time and effort and everyone here at Juilliard even, and you just feel a lot of pressure sometimes to stick to a path and do that. And, and my time at Juilliard, it was great, but it also, I had a moment where I really started to feel this burnout. It's something I'd done for so long, this passion, this love to move my body. And I just needed to find other ways to kindle that passion for creativity because it was kind of getting a little stifled um, during my experience there, just because it's such an intense environment and you're surrounded by so much amazing talent and, and it's great, but it's also, I think that you can find that in other areas too, even if you are doing something very specific. And so I just took that year after I graduated to really try to, figure out what it is I love when it comes to creativity. And I just accidentally went to writing and photography and videography to my blog. This was back in 2007 before it was even a big, I guess, thing. You know, there was no social media yet. There was no birth of Twitter or Instagram or anything like that. So um, I think that the timing was really fortunate just because I was really able to find my voice and, and this sort of craft it the way I wanted to do it without realizing that there were a lot of other eyeballs on it necessarily. Um, but I think it's really important, whatever you're doing in life, to know that 
you don't have to feel stuck only doing that. You know, you can absolutely branch out and, and see what other things spark that love of creativity for you and, and bring it into your life. And and hopefully, you know, you, you'll be able to find people that support you in that process because it's hard. It's really, really hard at times to say, you know what, I'm going to do a little shift and um, I hope I hope that's okay. But yes, it's absolutely okay. <laughs> yeah, I do think with something like that where, where family's been so invested that it can be hard to say, okay, I'm, I'm ending this one chapter even though I've been very yeah. successful at it. Was that a hard transition for your family? You know, everyone was pretty supportive. I think at the end of the day, when you communicate and when you're open and you share, you know, this is not filling my cup. This is actually causing me a lot of anxiety and stress. And, you know, I'm not enjoying my time in the studio. I'm actually kind of, <laughs> it's it's hard to be there. I think that when you communicate and people understand it, it's just such an easier process, right? To, to be able to yeah. see that end goal. Because at the end of the day, we want our loved ones to be happy. We want them to find what it is that that they enjoy and, and, and fulfills them. And, and I'm really grateful that I've been able to find that support. What was it like going to school there? Can you tell us what a, a typical day was for you kind of, you know, toward the end as, as you were a more, you know, senior member of the school? So Juilliard is a pretty small liberal arts school. They, there's um, music, dance, and drama. And so I got my BFA for four years there in dance. Um, and, and they don't do, a lot of schools will specify like I'm a BFA in, in ballet or in modern dance or something very specific, but Juilliard is all about this fusion dancer where they supposedly can do everything upon graduation. So you do, you do ba a ballet class, you do a modern class, you do improv, you do lots of choreography. We are so fortunate to, they're able to pull in, you know, the best of the best when it comes to choreographers and mentors and people that you're just you're in a studio and you're pinching yourself all day long that you're with them and they're creating on you or teaching you their, uh, you know, all, all of their, their work. So it was a great experience for me specifically being surrounded by such incredible talent when it came to the music or the drama or, or even the dancers. I just, you know, the dorm is right there next to the school. So you, you'd come back from class and there'd be improv going on in the elevators in, in the dorm and, and everything else. It just felt like it was, a 24-7 sort of circle of creativity, I guess, which yeah. which was really great in many ways. I And I credit a lot of what I've been able to do since to that experience because it really opened my eyes to how many wonderful ways there are to to reach and, and create or do your own thing or, you know, create some sort of entrepreneurial path based off of what, what you've done, what you, what you have so far in terms of your, your tool bag. So you went from that to now, you guys, if you don't follow her, she's got, what, 443,000 followers on Instagram, and it, obviously a very successful blog and, and, and brand in and of itself. Did you ever think that this, you know, sort of little, uh, you know, pieces of documents and, and transcribing your family's life would turn into what it is today? You know, I didn't, and I feel very fortunate because in those early years, there really wasn't a way to advertise necessarily or like no one considered themselves a, a brand per se where you were you know promoting a brand so it really uh, through word of mouth um, those those early years of the blog that I would feel fortunate to have found an amazing community that many of them have been with me since those early years those newlywed years in New York City mm -hmm. those the, the, the final time at Juilliard to then uh, being a, a new mom and then a mom five times over and a move to DC and then to New York and now to Arizona. So um, I, I really feel so fortunate to have 
to have that community. Women all over the world that I feel I've leaned on in many, many times and when I've needed that support and I hopefully they can lean on me as well as we're <laughs> trying to navigate life with kids and pandemics and everything mm -hmm. else. So Yeah, it's, it's a lot. I, I want to talk about your yearning to have children. It really struck me in the book that you were talking a lot about really from a young age. You you had this desire to start a family and it wasn't always recognized, especially I can imagine like in New York City, um, you know, friends of mine who live there, they have kids when they are 40, if they, you know, if they have kids at all. But yet you were this young married woman who thought, I really want to start the family. What was it? Uh, what was it about you and either your upbringing or experience or just your, your soul that made you think I have got to have kids? Family has always just been a really big part of my life. I come from a big family and my husband, it was actually one of our first conversations on one of our first dates together. He had shared with me his desire. He's like, I just can't wait to be a dad and to have lots of little ones and to just carry on life with, with a family. And I think sometimes society or culture might say, you know, you gotta do all of these things, tick off all these boxes before you have kids. You know, you have to have the house, you have to have the mortgage, you have to have already traveled the world, do all these things. Cause once you have kids, like mm, it's over. But I really don't buy into that. I don't believe it. I think that you can absolutely have a family unit even at a young age and you can still have an adventurous life and get outside and do fun things. You just have, you know, you have like your little party to come along with it. So uh, I got married young. I got married when I was 21 and we right away just decided let's go for it. Let's do this. And yeah, it, it, took, it took some time and I wrote about that in the book because it was a really hard chapter for me to be trying and yearning and wanting this thing that just wasn't happening. And I was young, I had been a dancer, I felt really in tune with my body. And when I would share with friends or family, you know, th this desire, a lot of times it was just so dismissed because of my age. I wasn't, you know, so for me to start infertility treatments and go through IVF to get our first little one here, it was really hard just because it felt very misunderstood and I kept that close to my heart and didn't share it publicly for many years and until this book actually just because I don't think I had the tools to navigate all the noise of the world weighing in on something that was misunderstood by even my closest circle and I think that sometimes I'm hopeful that by having this conversation and sharing that yeah like I experienced infertility in my early 20s like it can happen to anybody at any age and I hope that that conversation can make someone else who is experiencing that feel less alone as they go through it because at the time I just couldn't find anybody else in their early 20s trying to have, have a little yeah. one on the internet and, and and have that sort of community or that person to just kind of bounce off of and be like, me too, like, how are you doing? What what do we do? So, I, I, and, I, and I hope too it helps this conversation of others realize that maybe that comment, if it's coming from a loving place, isn't the best comment to say like, oh, it'll happen when it happens, you got plenty of time. Like, that right it's really hard to hear and it's always from well-meaning people of course but I appreciate you saying that just to educate people right we have to continually educate ourselves on all the different things that people are dealing with in the world and that's one of them um, that those comments that seem helpful can, can be hurtful and I think also Naomi I have to say when people look at like if somebody's looking at your page or your blog they think she has an abundance if they are if kids are their wealth she has an abundance of wealth. She has an abundance of blessings. She has no five children. But I think it's um, brave of you to say, no, we really struggled to kind of get our family started. And, and so you understand and empathize with the heartbreak that people have been through. What was what was that like? How did, can you kind of take us through that that process of deciding, okay, we do need to seek outside help in order to start our family? 
You know, we tried for a few years and we were just realizing as I, I think when you're in it, you know, someone might say like, oh, well, it only took you two years or it only took you four months or whatever it is for everybody. You know, when you're in that, that month to month feels like decades, right? And I think when we just started visiting with different doctors and, and, and talking about the process and what, what made sense for me and my body and it was... It's, it's trying, it's difficult. I really didn't open up to, it was just a small handful of friends as we were going through the process even. And um, I'm thankful that this community online as I've written about this experience have received it so graciously. And I can't even tell you how many women have come to me and said, oh my gosh, that was the same as me or I'm going through that too and I'm this age or I hear that or whatever it might be. And, and I really, I'm hopeful that we can just give each other more warm hugs by by just saying like, you know, how are you? Or what can I do? How can I lend support? Because even if it looks different from the next, right? Every single fertility experience, secondary infertility experience is different from the next. And because I do have, I'm so blessed, I have five beautiful children now. I don't think we should say, well, your pain or, you know, what you experienced at this point in your life is not valid because you have this now. Um, and I, and I want that, you know, to, to be that sort of conversation starter for all of us to recognize that it, it's not this sort of competition uh -huh. of who suffered uh -huh. most, right? It, it's this, it's this journey of like, let's hold hands, let's get through this together. We, you know, we all struggle. We all have these moments of pain that look different but we can hopefully find that support in one another through our words and, and through, through, through our communities by just being there and showing up when someone needs us. So it was a really tough process in the beginning, being a, a young I, woman I, in your 20s. And then how, how about the other kids? Were you re-going through the fertility treatments or did those um, happen a little bit faster? Or how did that go? Yeah, so I wrote about this in my book because my second, it was just this crazy miracle. He showed up, I, I, I could not believe my first was seven months, and I had a positive pregnancy test. Oh. And I, in my wildest years, my, my oldest two are 16 months apart, and it's just, he, we always joke that he was this little gift because all of my labors and my births have, have not been that, that exciting or great, uh, oh. honestly, but his was just this, he just showed up and he was like, and I'm gonna give you a beautiful birth experience too, mama, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna help you out. <laughs> Um, but you know, each one has been a very different process. We went through secondary infertility as well, and I write about that in the book because I think it's really important, and I'm really hopeful that that, that conversation um, can help somebody else feel less alone because it's real hard when you feel alone, and I felt that, and I, I would hate, hate for anyone else to feel the way I felt at times. Yeah, I think it's generous of you to open up like that because I know that that it, it takes an impact on you. It, it, each time you open up, you open yourself up to to more comments or commentary or opinions. So just thank you for doing it because I know that that's not easy to do, and it's I, you know I think going to be really well received by people who are reading the book. I. Um, I wanted to talk about the topic of moms seeing other moms out in the world. And I, you know, part of the book, you, you touch on people, you know, criticizing little things like leaving a sock off or something like that. And then you said the phrase that every time I hear it, and I'm gonna try to like not let it bring tears to my eyes now, but when somebody says, you're doing a good job, like explain what, to me, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's only happened a few times. But when it does, you're like, oh, thank you. 
I, our words are so important, right? Even as mothers, like the way we talk to our kids, I'm so passionate about making sure that my word choice makes sense because it's something they'll carry the rest of their life. And I think sometimes we forget that even as you know, a stranger, this little bump on encounter in the grocery aisle, those words might stick with someone and they might gut them or they might really mean something and turn somebody's day around. So um, yeah, that I, I have a lot in, in this book about, about all of that. And, and the shoe comment, you know, I had someone in a Target parking lot with my first baby, you know, really kind of reprimand me for not having socks and shoes on my little one. And she talked to me in a baby voice about like, mommy, mommy, my feet are so cold, put socks on me, mommy. And at the time, I just didn't know how to listen to my own gut and know that, you know, it's a warm day outside, she's okay, I've got her shoes here, like we're gonna be fine. And then flash forward, I, in, in that story, that essay I talk about, you know, eight years later, having that same experience with my twin girls and feeling just not, this sort of, oh, I gotta defend myself, I gotta explain myself, I gotta make sure that this, I get this approval of this random person I'll never meet again, but being able to just really sit in my mothering and know that I'm a good mom and my girls are fine and we're, we're all doing good. But you know, when when I see a new mother now and what I, what I shared in this chapter was I just, if you can catch someone's eye, especially in those those early, early newborn years where, or months where, you know, they, they haven't had a human conversation probably outside of who, who knows where and and you know they're covered in spit up they're they're exhausted probably not sleeping when you can just catch someone's eye and be like how are you doing you know you're doing a great job i think it goes so much further than we might ever understand because for myself when i've seen someone come up to me and just you know give me that little i got you i understand like hey it means, it just means so much. Instead of finding that one thing that the mom is not necessarily doing so great, you know, we're in this day, day and age of social media and I always joke around about the car seat straps. Oh you know, gosh, if you ever post a picture of your child, you the car seat straps, it's like everyone focuses on, did she do the straps right? Or, you know, and it's like, no, there's a beautiful baby in that seat smiling at you and you're missing it because you're so focused on what is that mama not doing right? And I just, I wish we could flip it. And I think we need to flip it as, as, as mothers, we need to show up for each other with that support instead of that, like, don't do this, or this is what worked for me. And you need to do it like this too, because I mean, there's no one way to do it and we're all doing our best, right? Yes. And I think that's such a good second shot in perspective. I think sometimes people don't know what to say. And so they look for, they look for the, the advice or the thing. And so just to put it out there, like that's not necessary unless we ask, did I do the straps right? Then you just leave the straps alone and know that whoever it is that buckled that little one in is doing their best. At all, right? Then maybe, maybe step in and be like, oh, I don't think, I think you forgot to strap, but yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes. Another thing along that topic, and this will be an uncomfortable topic for some people who are, are listening to this or watching this, and I, and I think that that's why it's important that we talk about it, um, and that is the topic of feeding your babies in public. So, um, you started this before before I did, and I think that now, because um, I had our, our little one much later in life, but I, even still, like as a very confident, strong, you know, hardworking woman who was self-assured, why was it that I was so scared to feed her in public and would cover her up like a, you know, like, in, like in a tent? So talk about that journey and how, you know, your friend really um, empowered you to be able to, God forbid, feed your own children. Right, and not in a bathroom stall, but actually at a table where most people eat. Yeah. No, I, I so agree with you. And it's and talk, going back to what we were talking about with showing up with that sort of support. I had a girlfriend. You know, I spent the whole meal. We we I had a four month old. She had a five month old, and we were sitting with with our spouses at a burger joint. And I spent the whole time in the bathroom stall with my little one. 
because she was hungry and I felt that that's where I needed to go to, to feed her, you know, to, to cover myself and to be in this unsanitary bathroom stall. <laughs> I mean, at the time I even in my head was like, this doesn't necessarily feel right. But we have that sort of society commentary sometimes of like, you have to do it like this. And my sweet friend, I got back to the table and she looked at me and she caught my eye and she's like, damn, you can feed her here. You know that, right? And then she said, you can feed her anywhere. And it was just such a sweet, like, hey, you can do it here. And I remember carrying that for several more months, just trying to get, work up that courage of like, let me give this a try. And you know, it takes time because, especially as a new mom, like you're trying to figure out how to latch, you're trying to figure out how yeah. to not flash the world, you're trying, to, you're trying to figure out so many different things. But I got to that point where, you know, I, I, could, I could do it anywhere. I could walk down the street and feed a baby and no one would even notice because you can figure out how to really be discreet, right? You can, it can look like you're just holding a precious little newborn in your arms. But I really think that there was so much power in her words and I'm grateful for that because um, nourishing our little ones, however you do it, obviously nursing doesn't work for everybody. But for me, understanding that I could do that anywhere without trying to hide it or you know step away or worry that I'm offending somebody over there because I'm doing something over here it's just it's just not worth your bandwidth mm -hmm. and I've never honestly to this day had someone come up to me in public and be like why are you feeding your baby here you should be over there like that's disgusting no one's ever done that I've had five babies over 10 years I mean it's it's amazing that um that that hasn't been the commentary but we work that up in our head sometimes like I gotta do it this way because I'm, I'm, you know, I just, I'm so afraid. I people pleaser, I guess. But yeah. um, I just really important to remind yourself that you can do it your way, and it's going to be okay. It's, and I it's think not as deal. I think that's a good sort of just even line for anybody who's with a mom who just had a baby to just even if you don't really know what to say and even if you're you've never really been around a mom who's nursing which I totally it's totally fine but that may just be a good line for people to have like another dad another friend hey you know you can feed your baby here and and that will bring great peace to that mama if that's what she wants to do you know and, and if she's kind of like at that phase so I like that you brought that up something I've yes. been totally inspired by and intrigued by is your ability to have, you know, before you moved to Arizona, to be in the city with the kids, like you're going to museums and you're enjoying life. Um, <laughs> how did you do it? Was that like more of a mindset thing? Like, I'm just gonna take the kids where I wanna go or um, did you strategize for days and map out a plan? So look, I think parenting and motherhood is hard wherever you're gonna do it. If I'm home all day with my five children, in one room, like I'm scared. I'd <laughs> rather go out and just, and, you know, have a day, be able to maybe get a few seconds of seeing something at a museum or whatever it might be. I just, I really believe that you shouldn't hold yourself back and feel like you have to wait to have these adventures until your kids are X years old or or able to properly, you know, take everything in that you're seeing. I think it's really, it's really valuable to just at a young age kind of condition them to to get out and, and have a, an adventurous life too. I think what's most important about it though is to lower your expectations when it comes to <laughs> what what might be happening. I think going out and having this big plan in your head of what the day is gonna look like and how it's gonna go is just not how to do it. Just get rid of that right off the bat. Um, but we've had a lot of great adventures together in the city, out out here in the desert, around the world, just because we, you know, we, we like to go out and have those sorts of experiences together, try new foods, look at new things, do, do, do new things. And I think kids are much more adaptable than we give them credit. Sometimes we might think like, oh, I don't know if they're up for that, but they totally 
they totally are. So I think it's just lowering those expectations a little bit and understanding that it might not go how you envision it in your head, but oftentimes it can go a lot better when you let go of that sort of, you know, hopeful mentality of what you want the day to look like. Yes, let go of all expectations and just kind of like have some fun with it. I'm curious about this for other working moms, you know, not that we're all gonna necessarily write a book, but that's a large feat. Um, How, uh, this is not rhetorical, like how did you do it? How did you strategize? How long did the book take? Who, who, Who did you have helping? How did that all go down? Yeah, so I I do believe that when it comes to anything in life, there's never a good time, right? I mean, I I know that sometimes we can say like, oh, when this happens or when I'm this old or when the kids are out of the house, like I can do that thing. And yes, there's a season for everything, but I realized in this process, as I tried to stop myself many times saying like, I can't do this or this isn't working or I don't have childcare and I have six chapters due this week and I don't know how I'm gonna do it, that we can often be that roadblock for ourselves and our dreams and our goals. And with this process, what I'm grateful for is I had this pull and and I had this, I just felt so pulled to do it. And you know, this has been several years in the process now. I was pregnant with my twin girls about halfway through the pregnancy when I really, I sat down to write a blog post and what essentially was this blog post was like the outline of six of these chapters. It was getting into these vulnerable topics that I'd never before shared and kind of swore to myself I never would share, talking about reclaiming my faith, talking about struggles in in friendships, which has always been hard for me, the internet, which is another thing that can be hard for me, and and also these stories of infertility and um, and and finding that confidence in my story. And I just knew this was an umbrella for a, a much bigger message which was my book and to move through this noise of life with this confidence and and I'm grateful for that because whenever I got frustrated or I felt like I couldn't do it in this process I would come back to this it, it, this this notion that I knew I had to do it it kept me up at night because I just knew that this was I don't want to say bigger than me but just really important to get out there I'm grateful to have a platform I'm grateful to have the the chance to be able to to share this messaging and have this reach the woman out there that that needs to hear it and, and, and be reminded that she absolutely has that confidence and she absolutely has that tool set to navigate life the way she feels appropriate and to, to really you know celebrate this life that she lives. So I, I think that sometimes reminding yourself to not get in your own way uh-huh. and, and, and just keep going is important. But also surround yourself with people that are willing to to support and help. I had a, a great team at HarperCollins. Um, I, I had a great a couple great literary agents um, and a supportive spouse who really showed up this last year, especially when I didn't know how I was going to finish finish this book um, in the pandemic, but it happened. It's out. <laughs> it happened, and I can tell that some of the chapters are more recent because they are during that sort of pandemic era. And I'm like, oh my gosh, she was real. She was working it. She was. She was. All the kids were the there. Yep, hiding in that back closet, trying really hard to not breathe because I swear my children can find me anywhere at any any moment. Um, yes. But it happened. And, and I think too, we, we as, as women, we know, like we work well under pressure. I mean, how many things does everybody juggle at, at once? So I think sometimes I, I know like I can, I'll, I'll be able to do it just because, I mean, we do so many things. We do so many hard things every day that we don't give ourselves credit for. So you can absolutely go after whatever it is that you're you're wanting and just keep at it. You can do it. I wanted to touch on the idea of female friendships. You know, sometimes during the show, we're talking about these really extreme second shots. And this one to me, I think is so incredibly relatable. So like if you tune into one part of, you know, what we're saying here, tune into this and it is, 
when your friend said, um, how you doing, you good? At the end of a conversation, I was like, oh my gosh, I've had this happen so many times. And there's something about that where they, they ask, but then they answer it for you because they don't really want you to say what you feel. And you think, I, but I'm not. I was going to yeah. tell you. Talk about like, how, that, yes, yes. Talk about how that transformed, you know, your the way that you seek out positive friendships. I mean, okay, I'm so passionate about this. Look, we as women, we don't have a lot of spare minutes in our day, right? And and especially as mothers. And I don't think because you have a history with someone that necessarily means you need to maintain a friendship if that friendship is not healthy on both sides, right? If you aren't getting anything from that, if it, if it really feels one-sided, for years I struggled with this because I'm such a people pleaser and I don't want to offend a friend. I want to make sure I show up for her and I, you know, I support my people, but you, I really, I'm grateful in my thirties. I've learned this lesson that I need to surround myself with people that are there for me that can, we can disagree, but we can disagree respectfully and we can hear each other out, but she's absolutely going to have my back and listen to me. And as I absolutely will, will have hers. And I think sometimes it's important to reevaluate our friendships at times. And it doesn't have to mean that you have some big falling out or some big friend breakup, but it's natural sometimes to you know grow apart as different seasons of life take us in different different directions. And and I don't think you have to give yourself. For me, I gave myself so many like sleepless nights going over. Oh, what do I do with this friend? You know, and 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 I have to tell you that when when you're able to set that aside and just say you know I'm going to focus on my small handful that you know, we're, these are healthy, good, vibe, wonderful friendships, um, you're going to get so much more out of it and you're going to sleep better at night and it's just, it's just more worthwhile. So I think it's, I think it's a really important thing that we don't really talk about a lot because, you know, we feel like we have to have lots of friends and we have mm -hmm. to, you know, stretch ourselves super thin for everybody. But I don't think, I don't think that that in the long run will do you any good. And if somebody says, how you doing? You good? No. no. Uh, might wanna, you might wanna go home and think like, mm, maybe this isn't, this isn't the friend that is yes. yes, that one just hit me so hard. I'm like, whoa, I'm friends with so many how you doing you good people that don't, don't care. So it just it really made me think and I hope that that gives people a chance to kind of like reprioritize and just, just think about how you might um, enrich some other friendships instead of and that one. Flip it too and just make sure that we are also not doing that without thinking, right? Sometimes we mm -hmm. might be that person. It's just like, hey, hey, everything, everything's good. It's like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. Yes, yeah. good reminder. Um, how are you guys doing in Arizona? I lived there for several years. It's like one of my favorite places in the world. <laughs> like what a, what a change was it from New York City to Arizona and how's that going with all the kids and the family? You know, we have been so pleasantly surprised at how everybody's thriving here. And not just the kids, but I look at my husband, I look at myself and I'm like, wow, this is kind of, this is kind of crazy. I never thought I was such a city girl. I thought, you know, I'm gonna die here. You have to pull my body out of my place. I'm never leaving the city. But we we have loved it. We have a yard with lots of citrus trees. I mean, the winter was was incredible. We've got 18 chickens in the back with uh, fresh eggs every morning. It's it's been really nice. I think it's nice that you know wherever you are. This obviously this pandemic, this season of life has really made a lot of people have to pivot. And, and look at you know their situation in a different light. And I think for us, um, when you can hone in on what's working and what's really beneficial and wonderful about what, what's around you and not focus on necessarily the things that are frustrating, like for me, the heat here, uh -huh. I just don't understand this heat. It's about to um, get worse, Naomi. I mean, just like, listen, you don't even know, but it's okay. <laughs> I remind myself that January here, February here was beautiful. And I'm willing to wait for that one more time, but. 
But I think just, you know, re refocusing that mindset to say like, hey, these things are working out really well and I'm really grateful, grateful for that, so. How has it been different for your husband? Well, you know, he, um, so I guess six years into my blogging, he resigned from his work okay. and he was doing finance in the city to come on full time with me to help me with Love Taza, um, which has been wonderful. We've loved working together. But you know, an opportunity here in Phoenix presented itself, and he is back in the work field as well as helping me still a little bit with, with um, my entrepreneurial endeavors. And it's been, you know, he's like, I didn't think I was going to get back into this, and I'm really enjoying it. So, what we've really enjoyed that he's kind of setting up his own shop and, and enjoying that as well. And um, I, I think he's been also surprised. Like he's such a New York guy. He just the, you know, we haven't found a good bagel here yet. But besides oh. that. Yeah, he's you know he's like I think I really like Arizona, and he was the one that said that first. To be honest, we were driving around, and he was like, "Wow, I really like it here." I'm like, "What? Yay!" So it's, it's special. Good. It's a very special. So did his did his work from Love Taza kind of translate into this new position, or like was was that like okay, these are transferable skills? Uh, he has. I mean, he he was he's done so much in the finance world and, and I think he's kept a lot of that up because he's done this whole business side. He's grown Love Taza mm -hmm. alongside me for, for the last several years together. So it, it, I think it all, you know, sometimes with social media and blogging and things, people don't really understand the behind the scenes of what goes into that. Right. Um, and there's a lot that goes into it. So I think he's been, you know, uh, kind of finessing all of those skills over the last several years with me that have been able to be beneficial for him now. Yeah. Well, what you have built is beautiful. I, I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I'm enjoying the book, and like I said, savoring every last little bit. Um, Thank you for reading, it means so much. Yeah, it's a really, really special piece of work. Tell everybody, where I know a lot of people already follow you, but tell everybody where they can find you, where they can get the book and all, of the, all those goodies. Uh, well, I'm I'm Taza on Instagram, T-A-Z-A, love Taza on the internet, uh, the website's lovetaza.com. But the book, A Code Yellow Paint, it's out now where, where books are sold. It's on Amazon. You can get it there. And um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for reading and sharing. It means it means so much. Well, it was, like I said, a beautiful conversation. Much love to your husband, to your kids, and to Arizona in general. You'll get through the summer, and then you'll just like soar and enjoy the rest of the year. Crossing my fingers. I hope so. Thank you. <laughs> Have a good one. Chat with you soon. Thanks, Naomi. Thank too. All right, you guys, don't forget uh, secondshotpodcast.com. You can listen to all the past episodes. We would love to hear what you think of this one. You can leave us a rating or a review. And remember, they are on TV here in Dallas on CW33 every Thursday from 10 to 11 a.m. And we will chat with you soon as well.